Hey guys, welcome to the PR Podcast, a show designed to keep you up to date with PR ministries. My name is Michelangelo Guido. I'm the son of Michael Rocco and Celeste Allen Guido, the founders of PR Ministries, a ministry formed to pursue relationships, cultivate creativity, and encourage reconciliation on earth as it is in heaven. The second episode is a conversation my mother and I had yesterday in their home in Franklin, Tennessee. My mom tells me about her childhood, how she had to quickly grow up and become independent, how she met my father and soon after gave her life to God, and how my father and she started life together and moved to the house in Franklin in which they still live. I know I said we were going to try and do this podcast every other week, but if you know my parents, they can be pretty hard to track down. It's always been best to stay flexible with plans uh, and my parents, so I plan on being flexible while still bugging them for recording at least every other week. Selfishly, I want these stories down for my kids to hear, but I also feel like people who enjoy a good story and the details and twists of fate in life will enjoy this show as well. And hopefully, by listening, you will be encouraged in your own journey through life. My parents appreciate all of your prayers and support as they minister to others, so if you're interested in giving to PR, learning more about the ministry, or want to send a letter of encouragement, go to www.prministries, that's prministries with an I-E-S, dot com. And all the info you need is there. Thanks for listening to the PR podcast and supporting my parents and all they do. May God bless you as you continue to be reconciled to him and those around you. Hey, Mom. Hey, buddy. So, interviewed Dad almost two months ago. And we're going to try and do it every other week. But here we are. We're at the end of uh, June. And um, we finally get to hear your story. Yay. And then we're going to have the two points meet in the middle. Because I already heard Dad's uh, version leading up to you. So... <laughs> Um, it's a little different than mine. Yeah. And last time we, uh, dad had a good suggestion. We started off by praying. So let's, let's start that way with this one. Um, Lord, thank you so much for, uh, my mother and for, um, both my parents and all that, uh, you've put on their hearts for this ministry. Um, and all the things that you have to come for them and, um, all the gifts and surprises you have in store. Thank you for this day and for your grace and love in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, yeah, so I guess maybe just start off by telling me where you're coming from and, um, you know, your childhood and what led you to God and then eventually what led you to your husband and the ministry that you guys started and take as much time as you want. Oh, no. Because <laughs> Dad took as much time as he want. <laughs> oh, I'm not as much of a speaker as my husband. But I was born to a single mom who, when she told her boyfriend at the time she was pregnant, he left. Mm-hmm. So she was at a very young age. I think she was 22. And... From the get-go, I felt, I'm assuming even from the womb, 
is I was a mistake. Mm. Never told that, but um, just pretty much in my life was, that was always hanging over me. I was a mistake and that I made my mom's life harder because I came into the world. So I'm grateful that she kept me and didn't have an abortion, which she could have done. Um, so I was basically raised by my grandparents because at that time she had moved back home with her mom and dad. And where so, was that? Yeah, that's in um, East Los Angeles, California, mm-hmm. where it was very um, gang infested and um, pretty dangerous area. Kind of still is to this day. Um, and but where, where were you born then? I was born in Los Angeles. Okay. So she moved she just to moved the back East part home. of time. Yeah. yeah. And uh, also at home, at my grandparents' house, were uh, siblings. She comes from a family of eight. Um, she's the eldest. So there was a bunch of kids and a bunch of siblings. And I grew up in a very loving, dysfunctional family. <laughs> Um, my grandparents were my role models pretty much. Um, and, and their names were, uh, Fernando and Lucy Mm -hmm. and full of love. I mean, their intentions were amazing. They, they loved their kids and their grandkids very well, but my grandfather was a severe alcoholic and my grandmother struggled with mental illness in her latter years of life. So. It was always an up-for-grabs kind of family. So early on, I guess, I realized that the adults in my life were really not um, acting as adults. And I had to quickly become, you know, care of myself. So I did that early on. Um, I lived in a very... uh, uh, chaotic kind of time where um, drugs and marijuana and alcohol was just constantly around and uh, it felt like that was my normal I would take a you know huge bag of marijuana and just roll joints for my uncles because that was what I did. I did it really well and and they were all you guys were all living in the same house or in the same area? Yeah, same house. Oh my gosh. <clears throat> same house of chaos, but <laughs> And one of your uncles was the same age as you, right? Or just a little bit younger? Yes. <laughs> Crazy story. My mom and my grandmother had babies apart, one year apart, which you kid with all the time and I would actually shoot you if I did but anyways yeah so I grew up with so my my closest family pretty much I didn't have siblings I had a cousin Nancy who my aunt had she was one year apart and then my uncle who was just a year and a half difference from me and we all lived together so we kind of were like sister and brothers you know we got into Mm -hmm. trouble together we got you know we had fun together um, but as, as it was, um, they, they also lived in that kind of crazy lifestyle. So we were just 
fending for ourselves at pretty much a young age. I can remember, you know, holidays were the worst because you just didn't know who was going to, you know, show up and be the responsible one. And uh, my mom was pretty much the, the normal, uh, the normal one that didn't drink or party or do drugs. She was very straight laced and, um, mm -hmm. But she also was a little bit detached because it was a lot going on then. So, but I grew up. I did great in school. I uh, I knew that if I put myself to it, I could, you know, achieve at least that. That I could be well, do well in school, and and do something for myself. Um, but there was a lot of abuse going on as well. In the midst of that, um, the friends of my uncles that would come over or, you know, it was never relatives, but it was always friends of friends that were over the house that I find myself, I would find myself in a situation that I did not want to be in. So mm -hmm. I started doing drugs and doing drinking at a young age. And I think that was just to numb a lot of the pain and a lot of the confusion. Mm -hmm. So... I look back and I think, I can't believe I like came out a normal person, which is not that normal. Well, what what age would you say that we started doing stuff? Um, I mean, it's, if it's there your entire life, it probably doesn't. Yeah, I was very young. Normal. I don't even think I was a teenager before I started smoking pot and drinking. And then it quickly went to doing drugs, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the meantime, all along was dealing with sexual abuse. So I just didn't find an, a real escape, um, until my mom one day just decided that we were going to find an apartment together. Mm. It was our big branching out from all the chaos. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking, this is going to be great. I'm going to have a relationship with my mom, you know, um, my life will kind of get a brand new start. And um, it was hard to find an apartment back then because a lot of the times apartments, they wouldn't allow kids. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, the apartments, I can remember them telling my mom, you know, well, if you didn't have a child, you know, we'd give you this apartment. Weird. So, you know, always a constant feeling of like, mm, just... Life could be easier if I wasn't here. Mm. But I was. So, you know, I just kind of dealt with things. I just kind of decided to stuff things and just kind of go with, with what life was throwing at me. So my mom married um, a gentleman and had two siblings. I had two half-sisters, but never knew they were half. I always thought they were my little sisters. Mm-hmm. And I was at the age of like 16 when uh, the second one was born. So I was kind of their little mini mom. And I took care of them like they were my own. Um, but the abuse continued with their dad. And um, I just finally got sick of it and said, I can't do this anymore. And, you know, without having a relationship with God, it felt like it was just all on my own that I had to kind of 
drum up my courage. And so I finally told my mom after all those years, because I never felt like I could tell her that this was going on. And she basically didn't believe me and um, told me I was trying to ruin her life, that, you know, she finally found a husband. And anyway, I decided at that point, I was 17, that I was going to get out of this house. And uh, so I married my best friend next door. And it was a, a marriage that I wouldn't have chosen, but I felt like I had no other escape out of my home. And what was that conversation like <laughs> with your friend? Because I've, I've heard this story before, but it's kind of, uh, that's crazy to be that young and be like, yeah, this is, this is my I was a out. junior in high school. And I feel like I'd lived a lifetime by then. Mm -hmm. So what was my next option? You know, and we just talked one day and we were, why don't we just get married and we'll get out. So I thought, oh, this is insane. I'm a junior. I'm going to, you know, I still have another year of high school. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but the chaos was so bad in my home that I just decided I can do this. What was his name? Ray. Ray. And, uh, we ended up getting married. I, I came to my mom and I said, you know, I need you to sign a paper because I couldn't get married legally without permission. Mm -hmm. um, she was great with it. She thought, you know, there you go. And so I got married and I went back to high school. So here I am, 17, married. And my own apartment. It was just like, go to the court, get married or? no. Well, Got married in the Catholic Church. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Yeah, and um, that was crazy. Um, but we did, and and it was, you know, obviously it was quicksand just waiting to sink. There was no, there was no foundation in our home or in our mm -hmm. relationship. And so I found my husband sleeping with my best friend, in our apartment that we had worked so hard to get. And it wasn't even before I finished my senior year of high school. Dang. So I decided to talk to his mother and say, you know, explain that this was happening. And she told me the best advice ever. She said, you know what, honey, this is what men do. And you just have to get used to it. Mm -hmm. And I looked straight at her face and I said, thank you so much. You just saved <laughs> me from 50 years because she was celebrating her 50th anniversary that year having dealt with that yeah. same attitude all her life not signing up for that thank you I very much I said thank you so much for that and I got my marriage annulled because it wasn't even a year of marriage oh wow and I I never looked back I went I went forward and so uh, as you can see my life is full of broken relationships broken home brokenness all around but i was trying to do this all on my own and not really relying on god mm -hmm. um yes i'd gone to catholic church and you know i i knew of god but i just never ever thought he could ever just change my life so 
Um, so I lived that point on from 17, I graduated high school, and I just thought, never going to get a relationship, never going to trust, I'm going to take care of myself, and decided that, you know, I would travel and do stuff for, you know, for me. So I did. I, I moved to Europe for a couple months. I lived in London for three months. I traveled all around. We went to, I went to Hawaii with my girlfriends. We did things that I would never have done before. And um, all the while, partying and drinking and finding uh, no peace and no hope. So what were you doing in Europe? Just visiting or did you actually get a job in Europe? Got a job. What yeah. did you do out there? I did a catering job. Mm. Yeah, I did catering and just traveled all up and down uh, London. I had friends all around so that I just stayed at their homes and mm-hmm. um, just really honestly wanted to escape. That was my big thing. Yeah. So uh, fast forward now, I'm 19. And my cousin calls me and says, hey, I won this raffle. She was at a state fair mm-hmm. in Orange, I don't know, in Pomona, Pomona County State Fair. And she won this raffle to, I don't, I think it was named that tune. And her name got put in this huge bucket of a million other names. And she said, they called me and said, I could take, you know, I want a cruise. And I thought, well, that's fun. I could party on that cruise. And who could I, you know, meet and have fun with? And um, and she it, thought it was a scam for a little bit, right? Yeah, that's she wouldn't funny. answer him back. And finally, the guy said, if you don't answer this next call, you're going to lose it. And I'm going to give it to the next person. So, thankfully, she answered that. <laughs> and the deal was she could go with her. She could go with two people um, and have a beautiful suite. Or she could take four people and have a smaller room. And so she decided to take four people, which was me, I was like her sister, and then my mom and her mom, who were sisters. Mm-hmm. And so there we go. And I had no idea, but my husband now, Michael, was on that same cruise. And he had just told his daughter of seven years old that he was going to take her on this cruise because he wanted to show her that he was a new daddy. He's a brand new believer. He'd gone through an awful divorce and wanted to show Nicole, his daughter, that his dad, her dad was a new daddy. Mm-hmm. So I didn't have any idea about this whole setup, but God did. And, um, I remember going, I'm on the top of a pyramid of like, 10 guys in the pool on this boat and I see this guy down below with this like huge Bible and I'm thinking that's a weird dude right there stay away from him because he was just right by the pool and he had this huge like almost coffee table Bible and he's striped shorts and he's really Italian hairy looking guy and I just thought stay away Stay away. And I wasn't looking for a relationship, trust me. But in the pool, as I got down from that pyramid of 10 boys, um, was a seven-year-old girl. 
and we ended up playing games as they do on on cruises and she was on my team and she was really fun and we had fun laughing together and being silly and she said you know I want you to come meet my dad and first of all I thought that's really weird that a seven-year-old is trying to hook me up with her dad and why is her dad here by himself on this cruise with her and Mm -hmm. A lot of questions ran through my head, but ended up that she took me by the hand and walked me straight over to this guy that I'd seen on the top of this pyramid of other boys. And was that the first time you saw dad at the top of a pyramid? Yeah. That's so funny. I think dad said he saw you in line at the beginning. I know. That's funny. I had no idea. So she introduces me and he's absolutely awkward and weird and... I just thought that was bizarre. Why did, why is this happening? Um, and Nicole just was so sly in how she just wanted to get us to be on a date. So Mm -hmm. she set up a meeting that we would all go to the movies that night on the boat and they were showing Mr. Mom. So I thought that was fun and, oh, it's harmless. I'll go. And when we got there, she said, you know, I forgot, but I have a party that I'm going to go to uh, with all my little friends. And I th- I just thought, oh my gosh, she just set us up. And just so, got parent trapped. Parent trapped it. Yep. So it was fun. We had a funny, we had a fun time. We, we laughed at the movie and then we found ourselves on this beautiful deck in the middle of the beautiful ocean with the sky and it was just magical and dad starts to share his heart about his life and it was like we lived the same kind of lives but separately um with his lifestyle and dysfunction and all that went on in his home and mine and I thought that's so interesting that God did that for you because he said you know God made me a virgin (laughs) and I thought okay that's a weird statement. No. Um, God could never do that. And he said, no, he really did. He gave me a new life and a brand new start. And that's the kind of God that I serve. And I no. thought, there's no way. That's not the God I know. The God I know is you have to be good and you have to work up to it. And I only had known religion up to that point. And he, he so convinced me that <laughs> he did... Um, he did do that. And it, he didn't only just make him a virgin, but he can make me a virgin. Mm-hmm. And I said, I remember saying, oh, there's no way. You have no idea. Mm. And he said, no, 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 I do have that idea. I am that person. And it was just like God started to really break through all the religious um, thoughts that I had always had about him. And he became a little more tangible. And and so dad, as only dad could do, um, (laughs) said, well, I have a Bible and I have some music, uh, but it's in my room. So you can you come to my room? And I thought, okay, I honestly was not attracted to him at all because I was not in that place of uh, wanting any, any type of relationship. Mm-hmm. But I think God was grabbing my heart at that point. So I did, and we went to his room, and he got out his little Bibles. He had packed like a million Bibles to give away and all this striper 
paraphernalia and I just and Amy Grant and I just thought oh my gosh you know I can't stand heavy metal what is this guy doing <laughs> so, then he pulled out Amy Grant and I was saving grace but um did you know of her already no I'd heard of her but uh-huh. she was just starting yeah. her big breakthrough and so we ended up having this conversation that God could come into your life and um his version is a little different I was just in awe of God's grace and mercy that he would even consider giving me a brand new start. Mm -hmm. So I didn't know how to do that. And dad, you know, said, well, you can pray with me. I said, could you come pray with me? Mm -hmm. And he said, I, he thought I said, can you come lay with me? And so he goes to hug me and I said, what are you doing? I, I asked you to pray with me. And then it was this awkward moment and he fell on the floor and started crying and that he was so sorry to God. And I thought, oh my gosh, this guy is so crazy. What is he doing? Did he try to kiss you? Yeah, he tried yeah. to kiss me. And I and I said, what are you doing? Like, I'm just, I'm so confused. And he, so he falls on the floor and starts crying. In which I'd never seen a man do that before. <laughs> So I've seen it plenty of times. <laughs> yeah. And God was preparing me. Uh-huh. And so I just thought, oh my gosh, he's really sorry. Like, he is really sorry that he just did that. And I thought, oh, I have no hope because there's no way God's going to forgive me. But I um, prayed and I asked God to come into my life. And I just said, you know, God, I don't know how to even pray. I don't, I don't. I want what I see in my, in Mike, but I don't know how to get it. And so I just prayed that God would come into my life. And it was so cool because, um, from that point on, um, dad took a real, you know, like a real seriousness. So this is a brand new Christian mm-hmm. and, you know, I need to treat her with that kind of tender tenderness and, you know, and so he says all along he knew I was his wife. And I said, oh, my gosh. Thank God he didn't tell me all that right off the bat because that would have been a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, so I looked to him, like, as my, my mentor and kind of my example of what, you know, a Christian was. I had had in this mind as uh, I grew up that Christians were weird and, you know, they had a lot of do's and don't lists. They were very, you know, awkward and square, and it was just, I didn't want anything to do with them. I, mm-hmm. I couldn't, I couldn't believe that God would come into my heart and into my life as a real tangible person in relationship. So, and he did, and it started to change things right away. I, I, even on that cruise, the rest of the cruise, I didn't really drink. I didn't really even have a desire to get on top of a pyramid of 10 guys. (laughs) I just wanted to know who this God was. And I would sit and talk to him for hours about the Bible and what a walk with God was. And, you know, it was just so brand new to me. So Mm -hmm. now, uh, coming back and we lived, the funny part is we're in the middle of the Caribbean. Um, and we lived 20 minutes from each other in LA. So we flew back to LA and we, uh, we had one dinner and I remember him saying, God has something really special for us. And I thought, mm, <laughs> maybe, but not really. Um, 
I appreciate that, you know, and so I, um, getting back to LA, get a job offer to go to New York. And so I, I'm excited because now I've got a new, brand new life with God and I'm going to go live in New York and it's going to be a brand new life. And, uh, didn't realize that Mike was crushed because I was leaving Mm -hmm. and, um, but I'm looking back, I think God wanted me to have my own walk with God and not, not just, you know, slide in, you know, behind dad and and everything he did or Mm -hmm. go to the same places and the same circle of friends. So I needed my own journey. So I moved to New York. I worked for a production company in New York and, um, it was a different New York then. I mean, they didn't have a lot, a whole lot of churches. I mean, it was not, I think there was maybe one church and I found one Bible study, but it was never an easy, um, access. I always had to really work hard to get there. And Mm -hmm. so my walk with God was very dry and was really difficult. I was trying to do again, walk and do this thing on my own. Mm -hmm. And, um, it was really hard. So I would call dad every chance I got and asked him to give me verses and tell me, just talk to me about God. I just need someone to talk to me about God. And at this point he had gotten his, like kind of his pride hurt that I had left. So (laughs) I was getting these verses that were like, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand and (laughs) you're going to die in hell if you don't walk right with me. You know, I'm just thinking, Oh my goodness, this is harder than I thought. (laughs) So he's pulling out all the hardcore. Yeah. I remember calling him one time from a payphone and I found a Christian science reading room and I thought, Oh my gosh, it says Christian and it says reading room. I wasn't sure about the science part, but I just thought, okay, well I'll just go in here and talk to somebody about God. And, um, it said open, but the door was locked. And so I called him from the pay phone right outside and I said, I'm standing in front of this Christian science reading room and I wanted to go in and read and, um, it's locked. He's like, don't go in there. That's not good. And I said, how am I supposed to know that? (laughs) He said, walk away. If they come after you, just say you made a mistake and just keep walking. (laughs) And so I just, I remember times of just thinking, oh my gosh, Lord, I don't know how to do this. Mm-hmm. How do I do this? And, um, fumbled for about two years living in New York. And and what kind of stuff were you doing for the production? Uh, I did, uh, I did everything. I ran the company pretty much, did the books. And then I also did, uh, the auditions. We represented a comedian back then named Larry Bud Melman. He was on David Letterman and, uh, we did a, like a college stick with them. We would take him and, and bring a bunch of Hawaiian tropic girls in bikinis. And it was just a crazy, <laughs> crazy, um, time, but mm-hmm. definitely not a God feeling time. It was more just draining. Mm-hmm. So I came to the end of my rope at that point. I remember being at one function and it was at the limelight in New York. And the limelight is, or was, a church that had turned into a uh, nightclub. Mm-hmm. And I have a documentary about it, I think, now. Really? Yeah. You walk in, and there are naked, like, women dancing on the altar. And I remember visibly feeling like I was going to throw up. Mm. And I thought, what is this? What is going on? I called Dad from the bathroom. And I didn't want to be there, but because I worked for this production company, 
the owner of the production company was just saying he was he was crazy and he said you're gonna you're gonna stay I asked if I could leave and he said you're gonna stay and you're gonna you're gonna smile through this and I thought I just can't do this this mm. is just it was beginning to start to affect my relationship with God and I just couldn't do it and I remember crying in the bathroom and called dad and I said I I'm in this place and I feel so sick and he said that's the Holy Spirit inside of you mm-hmm. and that the Holy Spirit's grieving that's why you feel so um so awful and so I began to pray that God would get me out of New York because for two years it was just it was a it was not a good situation and the people I worked with were not uh good people and my living situation was just awful and um and so I started to ask God to get me out and um and I started telling dad I said you know will you pray for me because I think it's time I leave and well he was praying for that. He had been praying that I would leave and get out of there. Um, God started softening my heart to him. It felt like he became more of like a, instead of a mentor, like almost like a rescuer in mm-hmm. my life. And I looked back at all the things that he had shown me. And, you know, truth in itself will always prevail. Mm-hmm. And so even if you do make wrong turns in life, um, you know, truth will come out at some point. And the truth was is that I just needed to get out of that situation and, and start living for God. And, and I known that, but I didn't know how. And so he and I started praying and fasting and we would get the same verses in, in Daniel, um, just about, you know, where your name came from, Mm -hmm. um, was our last verse we got together and it says, you know, fear not for Michael, your archangel will come and save you from the Prince of Persia. (laughs) And, um, he came and he brought with him that I didn't know. He brought with him five empty suitcases and a dozen roses and a wedding engagement ring. (laughs) (laughs) I had no idea. So I go to pick him up from this airport and everybody that's coming off the plane, you could always go up to the gate mm-hmm. at this point. Everyone coming off the plane, you know, was had tears in their eyes because they just knew that I was the one who had told the whole plane what he was going to do. And Classic were, dad. Yeah. They were all, and he might have even got on the mic. I don't even know how everybody knew, but they all just said, oh my gosh, I'm so excited for you. And I thought, what did he sell, tell them? <laughs> They are, I mean, tears in their eyes coming off this plane. And so I see him and he says, I'll be right back. And he runs to the telephone, which, you know, again, we didn't have cell phones. So he runs to the telephone. And I thought, that's weird. For the first five seconds I see him, he's at the, on the phone. But I didn't know he had called my mom to ask her. Right there? Right there. Oh, my gosh. If um, she could, if I, she would get permission for me to if he could ask me to be married. And she said in classic Nana form, she's a big girl. She can figure it out. <laughs> and he said, okay, thank you. And he hung up. <laughs> oh man. My mom definitely didn't, didn't end up the way she started, but mm-hmm. she was a tough cookie. Um, and so when we finally get to a restaurant to go to dinner that night, he, again says I'll be right back and he starts talking to the manager of the hard rock and 
begins to tell her that he's going to ask me to marry him. Now, mind you, we have never been on a date date. Mm -hmm. We've had one dinner, maybe two dinners in two years. Mm -hmm. The one half kiss that we had on the queen, um, on the uh, boat, the cruise. Yeah. And so I had no idea. I just thought he was coming to rescue me and get me out of New York. Mm -hmm. So we sit down in the Hard Rock on a Friday night, completely packed in New York City. And over the intercom, I hear for the first time, ladies and gentlemen, New York City, Hard Rock Cafe. Um, Michael Guido is going to ask Celeste to marry him. And I, I hear that before he even gets to say that. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm almost under the table and he pulls out this ring and big old smile on his face. And he's just like, what do you think you want to marry me? And I said, I, I couldn't even answer him. I, I had no earthly idea. And I, I said, I, I need to think about this. And he said, just try it on. Just try, just please just try it on. And he had had this whole elaborate story of how he got this ring and how he picked out the size. And he, I put the ring on and I literally could not believe that I'm being asked to be married mm -hmm. by this guy. And um, everything in me said, run. Mm -hmm. And then, but yet I knew that I had already searched everywhere else and was finding that there was nothing of value to my relationships and to where I was leading, my life was leading. So I never quite said yes. <laughs> <laughs> that is crazy. You just tried it on. You're like, oh, it fits. And wow. it fit. And I felt, you know, all the emotions. I felt fear, <laughs> excitement, you know, anxiety, everything in one. And so then we have the whole Hard Rock Cafe chanting say yes, say yes. And I'm just thinking in my head, oh my gosh, is there like a hidden camera somewhere? Oh I just gosh. felt like something was not lining up. Mm -hmm. And um, I honestly can't remember I ever said yes, to be honest with you. <laughs> so that's in March. Um, and I don't think I ever actually asked Mary Beth. Will the same thing? Me? <laughs> it was reversed. She said yes, but I never really said See? Yeah. You're just like your dad. That's funny. You are like your father. <laughs> um, yeah, it's kind of important to get those words out. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so I don't think I ever said yes. And I don't think he ever asked me. So really, I don't know if we're married. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so that was March. We were married in August. And it was a whirlwind. I, I cannot even tell you. I think God just totally did that so that I wouldn't slow down and think about what I was doing. Mm -hmm. um, I knew in my heart of hearts that this was a man that I could live with for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. I just didn't know how to walk this walk out with him and God. And it was just so, it was so cool. It felt like almost like God just said, just trust me. And walk mm -hmm. with me, and I'll teach you along the way. Mm -hmm. And so from that point on, um, you know, I always wanted a big family. I, I thought, you know, it would be awesome to have a bunch of kids, but I never really had a, like a, a good family example to live by. So it, it was a little scary when we started having kids, and 
we got into full-time ministry. Uh, we decided at very early on that we wanted our lives to matter and we wanted our family to matter. And we began to prioritize like, you know, relationships really matter. And our relationship with God is the first thing. And, and then our relationship with each other. And then that would trickle down to our kids. So we had lived in a very tiny little house in Covina where you and your brother were born mm -hmm. and didn't feel a piece about having any more children there because if we stayed in California, we'd have to jump up to the big house and the big mortgage and, and just, it just didn't feel right. And we thought, well, Michael W. Smith, who's been a great friend all these years and that's another story yeah. <laughs> in, a, in itself. Mm -hmm. But yes, yeah, so it's dad's best man at his wedding and has always been an incredible friend in our lives. Had had constantly said, come to Franklin. I think you need to come and visit. And this was back in the day when not a lot of people were coming to Tennessee. Mm -hmm. um, now it's a little different. But 88. We got when here. was the first time you came out? 89 when we were still, when I was born? You were born, you were one, mm -hmm. right? Because you were born in 88. Yeah. But that was the first time you visited was... We moved here in 89. And that was, like, you visited that year, moved that year? We visited a few times uh, during the year, and then mm -hmm. we came in October. So you were probably just turning one mm -hmm. in 89, right? Yeah, just turned one. September, October. Yeah, mm -hmm. so... Um, we came in October and we looked at homes and drove around with this guy and this big pickup truck who had just killed a deer in what? his back of his truck. And I, <laughs> I said, I cannot drive around with blood of Bambi in the back of your truck. So you have to get another car. And it ma I made him get out and wash his car because <laughs> I could not, I couldn't focus on houses when there was a Bambi. Dead. Who was driving you around? Mike Jones. Really oh good friend gosh. of everybody's, yeah. That's funny. He was a real, real estate guy, and he, he had no problem just taking us, <laughs> picking us up in this truck. So, needless to say, things have changed in Franklin. Oh, and, my goodness. The, the 20s. So much. So, we saw this house, this house that we're in now, and it wasn't on the market. We were on our way to the airport to leave, to go back home, because we hadn't found a house yet. And our, our realtor called and said, hey, there's just one house. Turn around. Just look at it. If you if you like it, you know, it's not on the market yet. We can make an offer. And we walked in this home, the one we're in now, and we knew immediately it was everything we wanted. It had the cul-de-sac. It had the big backyard. It had a game room. It had everything we wanted to raise our family. So we met the lady and we said, look, we are not even, we haven't even sold our house in California. We are just... We we're feeling it out, but we would like this house. We put our offer on and we said, we asked the Lord to just delay it a few months to give us, you know, time to get our, our stuff together back in California. So when we landed in California, by the time we landed in California, she had made, she accepted our offer, didn't even counter it, accepted our offer and said, the only contingency is I need three months no way. And we said, that's all we need. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. So dad began to quickly 
close down the tile business, you know, finish up the contracts that we had um, Dang, that's crazy. already in order. And we put our house on the market and it sold within two days. And Dang. we were here December of 89. Wow. And we only knew the Smiths. And we didn't have family here, and we didn't really know what we were doing. So mm -hmm. it was a very different time. Were you scared or were you excited? I think we were both. Yeah. I think we were so excited and so scared that it kind of equalized each other out. Mm -hmm. um, we had known that we wanted what we wanted to do was start a ministry that would be focused on family, be focused on marriage, and be focused on God. And... My Mike's whole history has been with music, and so we saw the need for the artists that come into this, you know, world that impacts so many people, but the need that their families and their marriages aren't affected or are lost in the shuffle. So um, we just started kind of working alongside uh, with Michael W. Smith and DC Talk, which was back when they just started. And uh, it was really um, a beautiful picture because um, God was already preparing the way. You know, he was mm -hmm. already preparing the need for accountability and for a pastor to travel. And so DC Talk took Dad uh, basically as their pastor, as their road pastor on tour. Nobody was doing that in, and, the, in the 90s. Yeah, and when, so how long did that take to happen because that's kind of what I mean that was the first real big move for the ministry right because you guys moved here in 89 and then met you met those guys probably in the early after. 90s yeah. yeah um let me think Jordan was born in 90 mm -hmm. she was the first southern belle here mm -hmm. and then Danielle was in 92 when it it was probably right after Jordan came into this world. So wow. probably early. Only like a year or two before he met him. Yeah. yeah. And that really was a miracle. Um, it's Dan Pitts, you know, who is um, dad's best friend here, still mm -hmm. is. He, um, he expressed the need for this type of accountability to the guys in DC Talk, and they accepted it. And they just said, let's just take him on the road. And... So that was kind of the beginning of like the, you know, just making the ministry like legitimate. This is what we do. Well, I guess establishing it here and then thinking about, I think dad talked about a little bit with the striper guys and right. how they had a Bible study in California. Um, right. And that was all pretty much done and paid for by the tile company. Mm -hmm. We never really had like a 501c3, which right, is a right, right. you know nonprofit ministry. Um, the towel company made enough money for dad to travel with the striper guys, and it never came out of their pocket. Mm -hmm. What changed was when we moved here was, well, there's now no towel company. And we're kind of living by faith now. Mm -hmm. So we started a, a board. We, we got our 501c3. We did a, our nonprofit paperwork and got that all accepted in early 90 and then dc talk said well we want you to come on board and we're going to support the ministry mm -hmm. and so it began to show us that okay well if there is a need then god will provide and um our board has been the best they've been they've sticked by us all these years and i mean 
of, I mean, the original member. I mean, they're, they're all, all the same, right? They're all here, yeah. yeah. We've had... We've some had... have moved away, like... Mm-hmm. Well, some were in L.A. and John... I'm just thinking the McGuire's are in Michigan now, but... Mm-hmm. But they all still are part of the board. Mm-hmm. They all still really believe in it. It's cool. Um, yeah, we've seen God just really bless and provide. There's been hard times where, you know, it's not it's not been the easiest of roads, but um, he's always been faithful to take care of us. Uh, we have, you know, uh, kind of it was kind of like a pioneering thing where um, bands really wanted accountability mm-hmm. and really wanted someone to hold them to what they were singing about and uh it's it's been great to see that god's done that throughout this whole all these years but also to see how it's evolved to not only bands now it's different artists uh who are on tv some who are creatives some who are uh, models you know actors mm-hmm. um not not necessarily christian artists anymore it's christians who are in you know, the workplace of mm-hmm. music, um, you know, example, Daughtry is, is a really great example. He had heard of what we did. Um, he's a gentleman who won in, or got third, I guess, in the American Idol competition. And his whole quote has been that, you know, I just have Guido on the road with me because I want to keep my marriage and my family intact. Mm-hmm. And so he would travel with Daughtry and just, he was his pretty much personal one-on-one counselor, you know, and that spread into their, you know, band members and other, and other people on the road. But we just got a call the other day from, uh, one of Chris Daughtry's bus drivers. Oh yeah. Who remembered my Mike and his talks in the middle of the night and just, he it was going through a hard time. He had no one to call and mm. he called and said, Hey, this is uh, Greg. And um, I was a, I was a bus driver and I, I need help. Wow. And he, and it was so sweet to hear dad being able to pick up right where he left off from that relationship. Yeah. I think that explains your ministry really well, how it's not about, it, it's about every individual. It's not about a particular demographic. You guys don't reach out to a particular right. demographic. It's people and it's the relationships um, right. that matter. Because I remember even when we were, when we were on family vacation we would pick out someone that we felt like God wanted to bless and would, you know, leave them an extra tip or, um, you know, you guys always love on the people that you encounter no matter what. I feel like, uh, whether it's at a bar or a restaurant or on the way in the elevator, I just, that's, that's your guys' ministry. Yeah. It's a unique one. Yeah. Sometimes we still scratch our heads and say, what is it that we do? I think it comes from a place of having so much brokenness and knowing that really without God in your family and in your marriage and in your life, it's just not going to work. And so I think God's turned our, you know, our childhoods uh, that were both pretty difficult into something beautiful that Mm -hmm. we can, we can use to help others not go down those paths or or pull people out of paths that, you know, there's times I think of where if we didn't have those paths and we didn't have that hardship, um, we, we wouldn't be able to relate to some of the people that we've gotten to minister to. Mm -hmm. 
we were in uh, Long Beach, and Dad was working with a bunch of gang members from the Insane Crips. Mm-hmm. And I just kept thinking, how did we get here? <laughs> but it was the favor of God because I'm watching these really, really scary gang members literally open up their hearts and cry and pour mm-hmm. out their pain to dad because they know that he's a safe place and he's been there and he knows um, that our only hope is God. And so I, it doesn't matter where we are. It can yeah. be that or, you know, sitting in you know the presidential prayer breakfast and ministering to, you know, governors and it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. It just, people are the same. And how God's been drawing you guys to, I mean, for, it's probably been 10 years now to Las Vegas, right? Because mm-hmm. I, I, I had just graduated high school, so maybe a little bit under 10 years, but how God connected you with um, the churches and ministries out there working mm-hmm. with prostitutes, and prostitutes, and pornography, yep. ministries that are reaching out to people that have similar backgrounds of abuse and other things, but they just don't know what to do with yeah. their careers, and that's what they're used to. And um, Yeah, it is it is awesome to go back and to be able to shed some hope and some light to those dark areas. Um, that's actually where we love to go. It's where we love to be, mm-hmm. is the darker part, I guess, the brighter the light shines. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember when we first got to the South, and um, it's different, you know, coming from California and living here, and I remember we were at lunch, and we were with Michael W. Smith, his whole family, and we're all sitting at lunch, and I think it was Dad's birthday, and the waitress said, oh, so you're a Gemini, or something like that, and um, Dad quickly was like, uh, no, I'm actually, uh, I'm a Christian and, you know, sign of David and starved. I was like, honey, what are you saying? She goes, oh, I'm a Christian too. So that means you're a Gemini. <laughs> and we all just kind of looked at each other and was like, yeah, he's a Gemini. Okay. Oh, that's funny. Um, it's just different. You know, we just have to learn how to, you know, be a light in, in a gray world too. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's been it's been exciting and and terrifying all in one <laughs> this ride we've been on. <laughs> Man, it's yeah. I was trying to think of uh, how to describe your ministry when you we were talking about it just now. Um, it seems like counseling without without a an office, which is like <laughs> probably the most chaotic kind of counseling uh, without model. walls. <laughs> mm-hmm. Because you don't have a nice comfy chair for people to sit in. They kind of just sometimes throw it at you. And yep. Gotta gotta reach out to those people that are reaching, you know, reaching out for you. You know. Um, yeah, I think I think um, when I look at Dad's life, and because I always I always love how it doesn't matter where we are. You know, our trash man thinks Dad hung the moon, and I think you know most people don't even know their trash man's name. And mm-hmm. dad doesn't not only know his name, he knows his whole family, he knows when he's gone into surgeries. He is just like, uh, it's just all about relationship. And mm-hmm. it's never been more evident as I see now more than ever, the, the imprint that you leave when you just kind of give somebody a little bit of your time and a little bit of your, you know, your heart and mm-hmm. 
allow them to share their heart. Yeah. So. And you guys are, you guys are the best, and I, I love and have always believed in what you do, and honored to have you as parents. Um, you are the best. Thanks for telling us about your, your growing up and. Uh, we'll get you guys together for this next one so you can, we can talk more about early ministry stories and Ooh, yeah. how God kind of formed things. But um, things that we've got coming up for you guys, what's what's on your heart? I know, so Dad's not here right now because he's with the DC Talk guys and they're getting ready to go on a cruise in a month. Yeah. Yeah. A DC Talk A cruise. reunion cruise. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that was pretty cool that they got to, they called him in yesterday to start the rehearsals off. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of neat that we just started talking about them today and, and he's there now. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of almost life, 30, a lot of history. Almost 30 years of it. <laughs> history. Um, so we'll be praying for that and you're going to be there with dad, right? Yes. And... Dad will be doing the um, devotionals and the prayers on the cruise. So mm-hmm. that'll be exciting and I'll be there peeling him from the ceiling because he gets so nervous. Um, um, yeah. And there's a lot going on in the future. We're excited. There's some events coming up. We get to go back to Las Vegas in, um, in possibly two months and share with their singles ministry. Um, and which, what's the name of the church? It's the name of uh, Calvary Chapel, Las Vegas. Calvary Chapel, Las Vegas. Derek Nieder, mm-hmm. the man. Yeah. Those guys are great. Yeah. So we know that's coming up and, uh, and some retreats coming up, so we're mm-hmm. excited. Are you leading retreats, or you're going? Yeah, we we are going to be leading a retreat for a couple of bands coming up in the fall. Okay, so cool. Keep you posted on on those on the deets. Mm-hmm. Cool. I love you, mom. Thanks Thank for your you time. Thank you so much, buddy. I love you. <laughs>